Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for Tuesday Terror here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. We left our hero on the threshold of greatness. Rejoining him, we find that he is now stuck in the doorway of greatness. This is Day 7, Part 3. Wiwat Rex and Curat Lex It is the seventh day of the return to Aldergate. The time and place of writing is a bit after one o'clock in the afternoon, in the Arkwell Privy Library, atop the manse of the Vice-Chancellor. We begin. Congratulations, self-old boy. You've done it at last. After all your hard work, after all your struggles, the late nights and hard choices have finally paid off. At long last, you are... trending. (laughs) It's a good job Baz mucked up the logistics, or you'd never have known. There's meant to have been a carriage awaiting to take you off to your celebratory banquet. But it seems even the best-laid plans of Bathsheba folks aren't entirely immune to ganging a glare. She's down in your study now, doing her own steely polite brand of running amok. Ah, well. It's given you the chance to shuck your sodden robe, wipe the ceremonial unguents from your brow, 
and watch the internet lose its tiny mind. <laughs> Your inauguration's already made it to the front page of Reddit in three different ways, at least. <sighs> and the only thing better than all that sweet, sweet karma is the heartburn this has got to be causing in bastardom. With luck, your first, and hopefully last, moment of mainstream notoriety will be just that little push they need to wash their hands of you entirely. Hmm. It may be a bit of a shield against your elimination as well. It may be poor form even to acknowledge the wagging tongues of the disinherited masses but nobody wants another Diana. If anything happens to Vice-Chancellor Ward before his fifteen minutes elapse, his memory may become an inextricable thorn in the vast, billowing arse of Harris Mundi. <laughs> Funny old world. Oh, and there's another, entirely unexpected bullet you seem to have dodged. The thought had never even occurred to you, not that you could have done anything about it if it had. But, thanks to this spike in attention, you now know just how good a job you've done in covering your tracks. Yes. Already the interwebs have done more work excavating your life in an hour than every target team you ever paid for the privilege. A dossier of your life and career has materialized through sheer collective willpower, and you seem to have come up about as clean as you could have hoped. There is a worrying amount of interest in mapping out the labyrinth of your former empire, but nobody seems to have spotted the big picture just yet. Well, nobody except r slash conspiracy, and they can't decide whether you are in fact the Antichrist or merely a level 80 dark Illuminati. Cryptek has come under intense scrutiny, which is fine. Kirk Bryce is being pilloried as either an empty suit or a covert villain, which is both unfair and utterly delightful. Nobody's paying Quip any undue attention. And while there's some notice being taken of unconfirmed reports of missing engineers and scientists, nobody's connected enough dots for a recognizable sketch of Project Sybil. Most astonishing of all, it appears that the world at large remains ignorant of Sammy's murder. She's always bound to pop up in any public discussion of the university, generally as Exhibit A of what's either great or awful about altercations. In this case, however, the only real question is why she didn't make a public appearance for your inauguration. One, distressingly on-the-nose netizen, opines that you'd have to cut Samantha Braden's legs off to keep her away from the cameras. Oof. But the consensus appears to be that she's sulking about somebody else being the center of attention. At any rate, nobody's turned up any direct connection between the infamous and therefore beloved Sammy and this war Johnny. 
Nothing about Bofax. No mention of Alistair or Lapdaemon. <sighs> Not yet, at least. That dam won't hold forever. Inevitably, there will be leaks and trickles if interest persists. <sighs> but it won't. Not enough to wash away the muddy mess of wild rumor and baseless innuendo. It's already poisoning any serious attempt to sort out fact from fancy. That frozen facade that kept the journos mostly out of your personal life seems to be holding firm. The profiles of you are all the same old noise, and everybody worth interviewing is keeping their heads down. Tom the Usurper cannot be reached for comment. Bells has a daring new dress and a devastating new haircut, and is teasing the rumor mill mercilessly. Hmm. Notice is being taken of Mum's death, but... Well, a thousand tons of new interest can't be spun into a single gram of new information. And since you were in a different hemisphere when it happened, there's not much enthusiasm for speculation. As for the other side of the parental equation, the Internet's top minds have narrowed the field significantly. It's generally agreed that your father must have been Barack Obama, or Satan, or Jewish. These options form a sort of Venn diagram, no sector of which is without its proponents. <laughs> Why, sweet mercy, all this fuss of a little old Adrian. <sighs> so much for Bowser's promises of getting the show back on the road immediately. You've never seen a lamb shake its tail, but you'd have expected a bit more enthusiasm. Ah, well... Now that you're rolling, you may as well go ahead and make this a proper journal entry. It's becoming an addiction, this dear diary business. You were afraid it'd be a chore and a bore, but it's growing on you. It helps you get your thoughts straight, you know. A backup file for ye of uncertain memory. So, yes, the ceremony... Ah, but first, the procession. The weather had looked pretty rotten from the safety of the study, and it didn't look a bit better once you were out in it. At least it's warm. Quite bizarrely warm, in fact, or there wouldn't be beds enough in Weatherby for all the hypothermia cases. Even so, you're pretty sure at least a few of your trumpeters must have drowned. There were thirty of them at the start, with the banners of their respective colleges streaming from their long hear-ye-hear-ye hear ye horns. They tootled loud and tootled proud at the start, but things had gotten pretty gargly before you'd finished your circuit of the pent. It just goes to show you... How hollow is human pomp and vanity in the face of uncaring nature? Hmm. 
The internet's favorite photo of you is the one from the AP Stringer who caught you just as you mounted the steps of Regent House. Hardly the stone-faced automaton from the fortune spread. You looked as if you'd come to claim third prize in the world's worst wet t-shirt contest. Ah well, at least it's garnered you a bit of sympathy. If the meme takes root, you will forever be... Things have gotten out of hand, guy. Daintily lifting your dripping skirts and putting on a brave smile for a flotilla of distinguished lunatics in costumes even ghastlier than your own. That scarlet smudge in the bottom left is Chief Constable Standish. Seemed a mite peaky, but he stood his post with as much quiet dignity as can survive inside a ceremonial cloak and helmet. And Misery certainly does love company. You had a dashed fine crowd on hand for your parade. The pentwood faces of the colleges were rookeries for professors in their master's robes, while the pentangle itself was cram-packed with students. Civilians, too. Perhaps that oughtn't to have surprised you. Town and gown may clash from time to time, but really, Aldergate is the university. And that more or less makes you laird of the manor. But it wasn't all locals, either. Processing past one well-dressed clump of spectators, had to spin on your heel and wave to one of the stone lions on the Kermantle Gate to avoid eye contact with Kirk Bryce himself. White umbrella, white raincoat, white Wellington boots. Useful for preventing tear stains when he sees what the internet is saying about him. <laughs> Hmm. As for the students themselves, this was the first time in fifteen years that you've seen them en masse, upright, and in daylight. And so many clubs. All the groups and cults and cliques. All with their little banners. The so-and-so society welcomes V.C. Ward. <laughs> Some of them must have camped out overnight to be sure of getting a good view. And giving one, for that matter. Suppose it can't hurt to be seen in the front row for the new chief's big welcome, what? Hmm. Of course some of them will need to be given their own special audiences. The Gwendolens were there. A token delegation, at least. Mostly the younger fry, the ones not already too busy and important for such useless displays of humanity. You wanted to grab them all by their matching pearl-gray neckties and drag them out of their comfy little pavilion. But no. No, you wouldn't dare. So you just gave them an amiable nod and splashed on past. The Gwens had set up shop right in front of the manse's front door, because of course they had. But you took some comfort in the knowledge of how little they must have enjoyed the company of their neighbors. A gaping slash in the canvas of their little shelter offered an excellent view of the Mopan Club next door. Hmm. 
Aldergate's oldest and debauchedest fencing society had claimed a little paddock that must have been adequate for the members who roped it off, but which was struggling to handle what looked like a mighty surge of new recruits. They greeted you with a brandy-soaked roar and a rattle of sabers. Hmm. Wonder if they still have their sex and violence parties down the Sylvan Backs on second Wednesdays. Hmm. Huh. Moving on. Yes, the Bester College Rugger Squad was there. At least you assume they were. Hard to see him in the shadow of Renzo Ray. <laughs> yes, indeed, your old protege, towering over a pack of brawny footballers like a monstrous Snow White. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought it possible, but you'd swear he's even larger now than he was in Lima. I suppose he was only sixteen when you first met him, but... <laughs> Sweet mercy... Call Tartarus, they're missing a titan. Well, you had to acknowledge a ward scholar, hadn't you? So you gave him a tap of the old eyebrow, and he answered back with a roar that nearly blew your trumpet section off its feet. Hmm. Oxbridge is in for a rude awakening next year, and that teacup's as good as yours. On you went. What a crowd. Awfully flattering. You certainly wouldn't have turned out to see you. Not in that weather. One bunch of students had got it right. A little pack of ghostlings in latexy hood, cowl, cape, and gloved sleeve sort of garments. Took you a moment to work out that they'd probably nicked them from a radiobiology practicum. Brilliant idea. You wish you had one. You did recognize a few of the old guard from your salad days. Older now, of course. But, naturally, it was mostly new faces. Some newer than others. In the midst of such a colorful lot, you couldn't suppress a double take at the sight of the least colorful person you've ever encountered. Quite astonishing. She'd got a little sort of makeshift DJ booth, and was talking a mile a minute into an old-fashioned-looking microphone, but... Ugh, really bizarre. It almost hurt to look at. Her whole setup was monochrome, black and white. Booth and microphone, and, most especially, the girl herself. Jet-black hair in a Betty Page, jet-black lips, jet-black eyes, and everything else just shades of grey. Twist of a makeup job, rain or no rain. The only colour in the whole production was the call sign on her booth. 99.9, .9, The Vixen. Why does that ring a bell? Yes, well, if you can find a spare moment, and a radio, of course, neither of which seems likely, perhaps you'll give her a listen. Hmm, yes, yes. And then you'll practice your aerial performance skills with the McNaughton Flying Foxes, 
and then you will transmute base elements into lunch with the Tozan molecular gastronomists, and then you will build your own pet abomination with the Meatbot Club. And, <laughs> ah, yes, had ye but world enough and time, as always. And, also, as always, all this dazzling nuance and diversity of the university's scholars will go wholly unrecognized by a world too silly to appreciate it. Yes, Aldergate's reputation should be set for another decade. The university has got a long-term relationship of mutually affectionate hostility with the Fourth Estate, but Baz had designated a little press area under the Whipple Arcade near Bally Alley. The idea, presumably, was that this would give them a good shot of the new VC as you entered Regent House. <laughs> the actual result was that, for all your sudden celebrity, you are not the internet's favorite thing about VC Day. Hmm. It's those masked ones again. Suppose you can't be quite so gloomily suspicious of them anymore. Not after they came out to cheer for you. But, well, by accident or by design, they'd staked out their territory right across from the press pen. You barely even noticed them during the procession. By the time you got round to them, you were pretty well overwhelmed by it all, and the rain was washing war paint into your eyes, and all you could do was just smile and wave at the noisy blur of humanity. But, never fear. The mischief and monkey shines of these mysterious mummers has been preserved for posterity by a dozen grateful cameras, who might otherwise have had a dreary couple of hours waiting for you. <sighs> Those masks. Not the drones. The pallid little Commodore Garden masks. No sign of them anywhere. No, these were the outsized fancy masks. The big personalities. Apparently they're waterproof. And they're also disquieting. You hadn't really thought much about them after you first saw them that bleary morning, but when the cast puts them on properly and gets into character, well, call it the magic of the theater, but even in short clips and still photographs, they are impressive. And it is quite a cast. Oddest of the odd would have to be the Siamese triplets, no eyes, no noses, just a single lurid grin stretched across three faces. They were holding a painted canvas banner. The Aldergate Players. So, yes, it seems that's who they are. And, solution to another mystery, they'd got a second banner with the squiggle symbol on it. The one that's still plastered across your front door and the Tempire. That banner was dangling from a pole stuck into a great heap of grey rags with a high yellow paper crown on top. There may or may not have been a person inside. All in all, there seemed to be about a dozen in the troop. 
their masks alike only in their dazzling dissimilarity. But, <laughs> well, no sense beating about the immaculate absence of Bush. The real star of that show is your old pal, the little Harlequiner. She was wearing that one-eyed mask, and that one-eyed mask was what she was wearing. The rain doesn't seem to have bothered her a bit. Clever girl. Everybody knows that it's having wet socks makes you catch cold. <laughs> to judge by these lovingly curated archives of her work, she spent most of this morning standing, stepping, and hopping about on the shoulders of her fellow performers. Evidently, she's part mountain goat, though that's not the part the internet cares about. Her identity remains obscure, thankfully. But 4chan has dubbed her Wink-chan, and r slash gone wild intends to marry her. <laughs> For your own part, you find yourself uncharacteristically interested in all things theatrical. You might as well go along to their little play, what? After all, they did come to see you. Only polite to return the favor. <sighs> a strange day, but quite a good one, taken all in all, and those have been thin on the ground lately. A positive sign? You may as well take it as such. Indulge that most human of tendencies to assume that each latest development represents a new normal. The alternative, if this really was just a good day, is that you're now the sort of person who has good days. <laughs> As in, yes, you may see Mr. Ward now, but try not to excite him. He's having a good day, and would rather not have to call the chap with the butterfly net. <laughs> well, at least you've got company. Most everyone's mad here. How very many looking-glasses you've been through lately. So many different worlds. And you only went a couple hundred yards. After the sensory overload, the waving, the cheering, the rain spitting in your face, Regent House was dark and still and silent. And empty, at least at first. You'd left your entourage and the brass section outside. It was just you and Daddy, squelchy footsteps echoing in the high hall. <sighs> it is ancient, you know. Part of the original fortress of Aldergate. And, unlike the core colleges, it's never gotten much of a facelift. Saxon stone, smoothed by the centuries. You trod the rippled furrow worn by the feet of regents down the ages. Reaching the great crest mosaic, that channel breaks and runs up into tiers of parliamentary pews, but you carried on, onto the Altergate shield. You and Deddy took your places beside the moldy old stone cube that sits where the book in the middle ought to be. 
After the watery sunshine outside, the five great pillar candles filled your eyes and hypnotized you. It took a moment for you to realize that a new party had filed in and surrounded you. A circle of hooded shadows. One of them you sort of recognized, grey-cowled robe notwithstanding. She had clicked in on a pair of canes, and you were certain you'd seen her before somewhere. It took you a moment, but you placed her all right. It was a few days ago, at the playhouse, when you and Baz were rushing to poor Standish's rescue. No idea who she is, of course. You ought to ask Baz, once she's done executing those responsible for this embarrassing foul-up. Anyhow, yes, the ceremony. All was done as should be done, as had been done fifty times before. As prescribed in the Lex Ortegatiensis, Dedi, strike ye the stone, thrice with bow of the green wad, and thrice with anrod of maiden iron. And then it was time for the chanting. You came off rather well, really. You speak as should not, but, as far as you're concerned, Vice-Chancellor Ward played his part admirably. All things considered. Your post-hensile left hand did complicate matters. You had to keep balancing things on your bandage mitten, and you bobbled that crusty iron sickle thing. But you've still all your fingers, so no harm done. You did delay the proceedings for a few minutes at one point, because it took you a while to realize that Deddy was going to keep on repeating his same line over and over again, until you gave back that complicated ivy garland thing that he'd made you hold between your teeth a few verses earlier. Still, not so bad. Could have been worse. The rest of the team held up their end pretty well, too, considering they appeared to be three chanters short of a quorum. The ceremony had them ringed round the cube like the numbers on a clock face. But for arcane reasons of ritual, five o'clock belonged to an old-fashioned coach stand with a walking stick and rather a natty silk-top hat hanging on it. The eleven o'clock position was held by a tall vase of white lilies, and as for twelve o'clock high, well, no doubt the real significance lay within, but all you saw was a jar. A fancy jar, to be sure, carved white stone with gold filly bits all round the edges, but a jar nevertheless. Deddy hadn't mentioned anything about a jar, or about a vase, or a hat stand either. You were so distracted trying to work out how they figured into the proceedings that the poor fellow must have wondered whether he would ever get his garland back at all. Still, you muddled through somehow. You quenched the burning stick in the copper basin with a sputtering hiss. The chanting got very loud and excited. Deddy popped the vice-chancellor's ring onto the middle finger of your right hand. Et voilà. Fini. Everybody applauded. Then Deddy immediately asked to have the ring back. He was quick to note that you could keep it if you wanted, 
but there was no uniform requirement or anything, and the last three dozen vice-chancellors had preferred to leave it with the scholar of the law for safekeeping. You can't say you blame them. It's a pretty thing. Gold and iron and sea glass. It's a bloody knuckle-duster. Old Edmund Darkwell, or whoever had it made, must have had forearms like tree trunks. Anyhow, Baz, who must have been waiting just outside the chamber door like a stage mother, bustled in to take charge of you. She was looking pretty pleased with herself, at least until she'd shepherded you out through the cheering crowd and down Bally Alley to Queen's Parade, only to find that your carriage did not, in fact, await. In the end, you had to turn around for an ignominious trek back here to the manse. Ah, but soft. Footsteps upon the stair, and the voice of the Baz belloweth from below. Huh. Ah, oh, that's typical. She leaves you in limbo for an hour, wasting away for want of a banquet. But now that she's finally found a ride, it's you who's got to get a move on. Yes, yes, very well. As the acrophiliac said to the trapeze artist, Hold on, I'm coming. Well then... All hail Sir Adrian Ward, 51st Vice-Chancellor of the University of Aldergate. So, he's got the job at last. Or rather, the job at last has him. Now it's time for lunch, and time for our hero to finally learn just what Aldergate has in store for him. I imagine it'll be just fine. Nothing unexpected, certainly nothing to lose any sleep over. Don't suppose there are any nasty surprises in store for him. But, well, we shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealdergatepapers.com Find The Aldergate Papers on Apple Podcasts as well. And spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward. Hi there. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Well, you're in luck. Wednesday Wonders is the mutual audio feed that has all things to do with the world of the unknown. Subscribe to the full mutual audio network feed every day for amazing audio, or you can find the Wednesday Wonders for all of your sci-fi and fantasy needs in your favourite podcast player. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening. 
and imagining together.